Hi, dear listeners. Um, welcome to the Overcoming Your Story podcast with your host, Miriam Joku. Today, our guest is Emanuela Alimlim. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast, Emanuela. Um, Emanuela and I met at the MasterCard Foundation. She's an amazing human being, and I'm sure you enjoyed the conversation. Please, Emanuela, introduce yourself to our, to our listeners. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, Miriam, for inviting me. Hello, everybody. My name is Emanuela Alimlim, and I was born in Kenya and currently living in Canada since 2013, and I'm really grateful and happy to be here with you. Yes. So, Emanuela, the, before we even work together, I think I read one of your posts on LinkedIn where you were sharing on when I think on your trip, about your trip when you left Kenya to come to the University of Toronto, and it made me cry. It was in the middle of the night. The writing, the the what you were sharing, it resonated so much with me. Can you sh- share a little bit how you grew up and how you came to take that uh, trip? <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in the northern part of Kenya uh, called uh, in the Samburu County. Uh, and I grew up like every normal kid with my mother, uh, with my extended family, my siblings. Um, and then as you know, if you grew up in the in on the African continent, at some point you go live with your grandmother, at some point you go live with your aunt. So I will say that I grew up in my community, everyone chipping in to support all of us. Uh, although we were so many, I'm really happy that I had I was I had a culture, a support system with me. Um, how I like to characterize that is I grew up socially and culturally rich, but economically I was poor. So although we didn't have a lot, I was surrounded by laughter and all of that. And so I think for me, you know, having that, I always knew that I wanted more. I wanted to, I knew that there was a lot of things outside of where I grew up. I knew that the world was too big and I did not want to be confined um, in 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 this village where I grew up. And so I, the only thing that really made sense for me to, you know, expound my knowledge and knowing is to study like most people. Education was the pathway that made sense for me. to get out of of that village and so I was really you know I was really hard on my studies. Did you have role models because I know you were really good at at school and you are a big sister you I think you're um, the eldest of 12 children. (laughs) Yes yes so this is the thing where I grew up I would say there weren't really models uh, who mm. was I going to look up for? Up yeah. to? There wasn't anyone. So for me, surprisingly, the people who really made me want to do things were my teachers. Mm. And that's why I credit a lot of, you know, my becoming to teachers. Oh, wow. I, I love hearing that because they say um, a child um, who goes through uh, adverse childhood experiences what can make a difference at the end of the day are those positive experiences, those people who could be even external to the family who helped the, 
the child become someone. So for you, those people were your teachers, right? Yes, that's correct, who, Miriam. Who believed yes. in you. Oh, that's yes. amazing. Um, so how did you come to leave your village? I remember we were in a conversation and we were sharing and you were telling, you were telling me how you saw even elephants when you were going to, uh, to school. And I love that story so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's, that's why I was saying we were, I, I grew up very culturally rich, right? That story yeah, is... Uh, we would go, we were very mischievous kids, so we would get water from the river. Uh, these are tales told by people, and people probably don't believe, but people who I grew up would probably believe this. And so the river was called Ewasonyiro, and so in the evenings after school, we would go to get to get um, water. But on the other side of the river banks, there were a lot of elephants, and we were on, the, on this side to collect water. So, of course, we were very mischievous and we threw stones and, and sticks to make them to come and chase us. But, you know, there's this water current that would break this speed and we would repeat the same thing. Yeah, so those are the things I grew up with uh, that could yeah. really look far-fetched to other people. Yeah, yeah, coming from the village, that sounds like... Uh... <laughs> Enormous fun. Um, yeah. So how come you left your Samburu? So in what circumstances did you leave Samburu? Yeah, that's a really great question, Miriam. I think for me, you know, I really didn't. I knew that I, I was more than what my village was or is. And so, you know, education was something that really made sense to me. It was the only pathway that, you know, seems that I could do it. There was nothing else around me. And so I graduated high school with the help of, 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 of a sponsor who paid all my high school fees. And then from there, I was interning at Equity Bank in Kenya in, in one of the, their branches. And then there was this opportunity, people applying to study abroad and I was like, wait, what? People actually can go and study outside? I was like, well, why don't I myself try it, right? Yeah. Do you want me to do the SATs? I was like, let me try it. And I think for me, just recognizing that actually this is something people can do it. I saw people doing it and I was like, okay, let me try it. And it happened that I, I tried it and I got in. And that's why I got on the plane and came to Toronto in 2013. Wow. It's such an amazing story when you think of it from uh, your life in the village and all the hard work, the struggle, no role model to come and get on that plane by yourself to come to a new country to study. That's, wow. Congrats to you. I really, I, really you. I know Thank it's you, been Maria. a path. Yeah, it's been a path. And uh, it doesn't show on your face. I, <laughs> I know you from work. I could hear your laughter <laughs> from every corner of the office. Your beautiful laugh. Everybody knows your laugh. It's a signature laugh. <laughs> you know, but I know it's not been easy. So how was it when you arrived in Canada? How, like, what were your first impressions? Even like taking the plane. I remember when I took the plane because it, I never knew I would take a plane one day. But so how was it for you? You know, surprisingly, I was almost late to come to school. So what they did, they decided to buy me a business class. Listen, I never, I had never taken a plane. I never knew what's the difference between the, the different classes. <laughs> 
And so I was just queuing in the same line, and I and when I came there, the lady was like, "Oh, your line is there," and I'm like, "Okay." And then I entered the plane. I'm like, "Oh my god, what is this? I had yeah. never gone on a plane, and here I'm sitting on a business class." And then I came to Toronto, and all the buildings, you know, we we do take a lot of, you know, we we really grew up without seeing the technological advancement of a lot of things. So for me, it was I was shell shocked to see a lot of things that one normal to people but to me was the learning process at the same mm. time right you know from food to the weather to how people even the simplest thing how they greet each other those were new to a lot of us and of course it comes with a lot of its challenges but also a lot of growth that comes in learning new culture and new ways of living in a in a totally new space for me i would say i struggled a little bit to adjust um but yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that's uh wow. Yeah, what 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 month did you arrive in Toronto? I hope it was not in the winter. Oh no no no, it was it was September. So I I got okay. here. And it was still a little bit. It was warm and and beautiful and you know and all. It was during orientation of students, and you see a bunch and massive students everywhere. So I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so. So the topic is about mental health. So now you're in a new country, you're by yourself, you're starting your studies at university. How is Emanuela doing mentally? How, how is she apprehending this new environment? Um, it's so different from everything, right? Yeah, I think, I think for me, now that I'm reflecting back, there was just a lot of newness. There was a lot of Eden trauma. Um, mm. There was a lot of things that I think it was, it, it felt like a mixing pot of everything and then it erupted. Um, so for me, just a lot of trauma, a lot of trying to become who I'm supposed to be, right? Somehow I've left my village. That signifies a sense of a role model to other people, even my family. So for me to come here, I'm carrying a lot of evidence on my back, on my shoulder. And so that expectation really did put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and so, you know, mixing trauma, uh, expectations, the reality of things that it's it's not easy to adjust to a new culture. It's not easy to adjust to a new education system. And so I found really myself a lot of times very depressed, uh, very, very depressed and, and quite lonely um, in this world. You know, and it's it's a very dark place to be, especially for somebody um, whose blackness or as a woman, you know, you're not supposed to be on the top of the world. So for me, it was somehow I, I was drowning, not somehow, I was absolutely drowning. And at any point, I could not swim or I could not reach out my hand to even paddle or even to reach on top of the water. And so that went for a long time that I was in this some sort of darkness and and, and depression and confusion. What am I even supposed to do here? 
um, mm. the black woman's super syndrome came in, right? Mm. Um, and so it was a struggle for a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with, with us because I know it, it must not have been easy. There's such a, a price we pay when we are the first, right? The first in the family to go to high school, the first in the family to go to university. In your case, the first in the family to leave uh, your country, the first mm-hmm. to go to university, because since you're, uh, you're the firstborn, that responsibility of being the firstborn already, right? And you said the example for other younger people in the village, it's, it's really, there's a price we pay for being the first in spaces because there's no light in front of us to pull us ahead. We, we have to create that path. And by trial and error, it can become really very heavy. So, and I, I don't know when, um, I know often in the African context, we are so much in survival that we don't take care about feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you got you get to university. It's uh, it's kind of so you're safe because um, you're in the context where you have a scholarship. So you're at last safe economically, and then all the emotional baggage that's been there mm-hmm. just comes crashing, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. So how did you manage to get help? Because I know it's not easy reaching out and asking for help. How did you, how did you overcome that? You know, and, and this is a struggle for most people, even right now, uh, seeking help when in need, seeking help when you are really at the rock bottom. I think most of us struggle with that. And for me, I think, the the driving force for me to actually now swim up and 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 breathe again was the fact that I I really I love my family um I love them so much and so there was that inner calling be like you know we love you um it would re- repeat over my head every day and so I was like you know if I don't do this, I don't think anyone would even know what's going on with me. Um, And I just decided, let me do it. And I did it on my own. I found the resources where to go, who to talk to, how how I'm going to pace myself in terms of the coping skills that I learn Um, and following through the process itself, uh, really staying the course of, the treatment and getting through with it. So for me, seeking help, I think, was the hardest and most rewarding thing I've ever done uh, in terms of, you know, unpacking my emotional baggage. Wow. So what modalities did you try? Did you try therapy just for listeners out there who Mm -hmm. are not at that point yet, you know? Yeah, I think for me, most were therapy. I did, I think, weekly, bi-weekly therapy. I was also hospitalized for some time. So that forced me to go through an intensive uh, CBT or DBT training, all of that. Um, after that, I also had a monthly call with a psychotherapist for almost six months. So for me, really, 
um, going back to therapy and really laying it down. This is what happened to me. This is what I'm expected to do. And this is who I am right now. So can we bring all this thing together and find and unpack these emotions? Um, and also, I think one thing that came out of it was the fact that I, I really love music and music became like therapy uh, in some way on top of seeking professional help and, and following through trainings, music also became a part of me and my identity. Oh, that's so amazing. I had a music question towards the end, so it's good you bring that in now. <laughs> oh, Miriam. Because I, was, I was going to ask you about your rumba because I love your, your taste in, room, in Congolese rumba. It's just I don't know. It's just so amazing. It's not of this time. You know music that of your age, you're not supposed to know. Let me be a bit uh, disrespectful there. You know, I'm like, how does she know this music? I know. Uh, for me, for example, I know because I was in the village. Okay, mm -hmm. you were also in the village. I, I don't know. Like, you tell us how you know this. This is oh. real, real, you know. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Gen yeah, we can talk about music, right? So for me, I think, uh, of course, as you know, I love Congolese rumba music, uh, the Madilu system, the Franco, oh, the yes. coffee. And, and I think I grew up listening to it. So um, the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation, it's a, it's a news channel. They'll play it every day when I was young. And... And then for some time, I think that's what happened in life. You really forget things. Life happens. And then when I came here to Canada, one day, I don't know what I was doing on my computer, and one of the songs played. Oh, my God. The emotions, the feeling, the nostalgia all just came to me. And there was this sense of happiness that I, I just, you cannot explain. It's intangible. And I just went that route and I, I never looked back. And I just was so blown by how much music makes me happy and drowns me to, I don't want to say where I was or how I felt, but that's how it really makes me. Yeah? And that's why I picked up Congolese. I'm sorry, Kenyans, I'm Kenya, but, <laughs> but I, I just happened to like Congolese music. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they have really great music, right? So, yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Um, so what else did I want to ask you? Um, do you listen to other music than Congolese rumba? Yes, I do. I listen to classical music. I listen mm. to, you know, the likes of Andrea Bocelli, uh, the tenors, you know, I also listen to a lot of hip-hop, but apparently I am not up to speed with what's happening. I can listen to old school of DMX, uh, God Rest is Soul in Peace, the likes of Kanye. They are, they are really old school music, Eminem. And of mm. course, Afrobeat. Afrobeat is yeah. also something. Oh, one thing I actually recently picked is old school South African music. You know, the likes yeah. of... Uh, Yvonne Chaka Chaka, Brenda oh, yes. Fassi. <laughs> so yeah, I was yeah. good like, stuff, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I also listened yeah. to those. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's amazing. I love listening to those too. Um, yeah. So I know that at the University of Toronto, you created a lot of initiatives despite your personal struggles. You, mm -hmm. you put in place 
um, many things. Um, I think an association of mm-hmm. not Kenyan, East African students, mm-hmm. right? And um, you also wrote and an, um, you also created a documentary. I think you wrote it, you directed it. Yes, you wrote and directed a documentary called Invisible Despair in 2017. I, I watched it. I really, really loved it. I think all my all our listeners should go watch uh, your documentary on uh, YouTube. Can you tell us a bit about um, your activities and the documentary? Oh, thank you, Maria. You know, one thing I recognized while I was at the University of Toronto was I think everybody has their own struggle. But the thing that the thing that makes a difference is the person that takes the first step to do something. And for me, I knew that connecting to students and having that platform for peer sharing, peer mentoring, peer coaching, and just celebrating our identity was really critical to our academic and, and also social progress. And so that's when we started the Eastern African Student Association and would put a lot of events. Um, and people that usually were reclusive or stayed on their dormitories were showing up just because there was a platform to to do that. And I think that's really critical in bringing people together. And also, I think with my struggle with depression, I knew that, okay, so this is happening across, you know, the university, but also across our systems um, and our communities. What can I do? What am I good at? I don't know if I'm good at it, but I was I put together a proposal and I was funded by the University of Toronto to really write and direct a documentary on mental health across the University of Toronto St. George campus. And this really, you know, getting students from different culture, getting students with different type of mental illness, um, getting professors to share their experience, getting... Uh, getting the vice chancellor who, you know, are people who are decision makers. How does the system work? Getting the head of health and wellness to share her perspective. So it was, it was, it was not just one dimensional. I needed to bring all voices together so that we can really find where's the breakdown in communication and where do we need to invest heavily in supporting our students. And a lot of things came out of that. There was a task force that was formed um, oh, wow. and some of the, of the implementation really went well in terms of you know trainings, professors to, to be able to support students, um, you know, putting a lot of resources in hiring a lot of, you know, uh, psychosocial support, you know, psychotherapists, also recognizing that institution itself is not an homogenous group of young men and women, but also really people from different cultures. So bringing, you know, support from different culture to contextualize the treatment was also really important. And that came out of that. So I'm really proud of what I did with the documentary. Wow, that's really amazing. I didn't know, yeah, the aftermath of uh, of that. So, uh, yeah, that's really great for the students who came after you. Mm-hmm. So, now, <coughs> sorry. The next question, I want to ask you, when did you think the childhood you led impacted you and in what way? That's a big question, you know? Your childhood, do you, do you think it had an impact on you? Um, 
and in what way? Oh, yeah, that's that's deep, Miriam. Um, how does my childhood impact me? I think somehow I credit a lot of things. I mean, there were the good and the bad and the ugly as a kid. Um, some things that you probably even don't want to say out loud. But I think in most cases, there is that feeling of if the bad did happen to you, um, I'm always very conflicted. Does really pain um, come to transform someone? Mm. It's the feeling of hopelessness when you're a kid really gives you the courage to go forward. And for me, I think my childhood did a lot of, did have a lot of, you know, different dimensions. And I think both either the good or the bad did contribute to who I am. Mm -hmm. But if I could go back and say, could I change the bad? Absolutely. I don't think as a kid, you really want to live in a space that has a, a, this dark memory in your soul that sits on your shoulder for the rest of your life. And yeah. it will need a lot of unpacking to do. I don't think that's fair to children. Um, and I think for me, if I could go back, if I was a young kid, I probably would not want to grow in a system or in a household that was full of those pain that I um, right now as a, as a as a young woman, if I could, if I think about them, they really bring pain to me. Even the fact that I've gone through treatment, it doesn't end just because you've gone through all this type of, you know, coping skill. It doesn't. It's a lifelong yeah. thing that you stay with it. It's just a matter of, um, it's, it lessens each day, but it's just a matter of, you know, moving forward, recognizing that those things happened to you. But I don't think it was fair to most of kids who go through those things. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That's exactly the reason why I started Overcoming Your Story podcast, because we have to realize, because most of the time in our community, they say, oh, that was a long time ago. You have to forget it. Or oh, where is that person right now? You're better off than them. But actually, it's a soul wound that stays with us. We have to somehow manage that all our lives, actually. We always have to take care not to go to that dark place, you know. There's always, it's like, uh, yeah, it's a continual management of our well-being, of, mm -hmm. of our mental well-being to stay well and to stay mentally fit because we have things that we have to carry. Mm -hmm. And as you say, things, things change with time, but it starts with awareness and acceptance, mm -hmm. accepting that that's our story, that's... Oh. You know, for the, I ran away from my story a long time. I didn't want to accept it. Mm. You know, I was angry. But when we are aware and then we accept that, that's that's my life. I want to be that kid who had two parents and, you know, who had food when she came back from school. But no, that, <laughs> no that, that's, that's not that's the fiction. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fiction there, right there, you know, so... Yeah, yeah and, and I really love the fact that you've brought in the acceptance part. Um, most of, and I think it's something that I, 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 I it's a quote that I, I read from one of Rene, uh, I don't know if it's Rene Brown, but one of, one of the uh, authors, and she says something around, most things will be okay, but not everything. 
You'll put up a good fight and realize it's time to let it go. Acceptance is a small, quiet room. Acceptance is a small, quiet room. And so for me, as you asked me that question, I went back to acceptance. The fact that my pain was sitting in this room and I acknowledged it, that it was a pain that happened to me, but I was also accepting it. Um, and letting it sit in this quiet room. And so I'm, I re, I'm really happy that you brought in the, the, the fact about acceptance. Yeah, and you're right. It's when we accept that we can also let go mm-hmm. and also forgiving ourselves because when things happen to us in childhood, to, it's a protective mechanism of the brain. So the child will think it's their fault. It's my fault if I'm treated mm-hmm. like that. It's my fault if my mommy doesn't want to live with me. So they... That's because if you think it's your caregiver's fault, then it, it's not possible. The child, it, it, like you, you will die because, you know, so you, the child will always turn on themselves. Mm-hmm. So as adults, we have to recognize that and forgive ourselves that it was not our fault. We mm-hmm. were children, we were helpless, and uh, but today we are not helpless anymore. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it takes just awareness, just knowing what happened to us, accepting it, and then we can start working on it, you know. Then that five-year-old that was hurt is not in the driving seat anymore and making us take crazy decisions for our lives, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, I I found something you said that I found so, so beautiful. Uh, you said, I don't need to get A's in class to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I found that so, so powerful because in the documentary, you were saying how you, you were meant to be Nelson Mandela. You were meant to be Malala. Mm-hmm. And then, but at the end, you're talking about your path, you know, mm-hmm. Emanuela's path. Because at the at, yeah, do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, in some sort, we are really, we are really, and I don't, I don't know if it's me, but I'm really sometimes expected or mirrored to be, you know, this powerful person, this a change maker in my community, you know, someone who comes and brings change suddenly. And I don't think that's fair to put that burden on 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 us, and especially for for people like ourselves who are already carrying a lot of others. Um, in others, meaning our, our community, our siblings, carrying our own emotional baggage. And I think really following through your own journey doesn't have to be mirrored to somebody else. You could get inspiration from them. You could get their values, how they lived their life. But following that, I think for me, could be a death to who you are. Um and and one thing I think as a, as I'm, as as I gain each day on this uh, I just I look back and I'm like I don't necessarily think getting A's in university or on your academic work makes you a good person um, or I think for me living a purposeful life living a purposeful life involves living an authentic life to who you are living with your values, carrying your ethical values with you. And you do not need to be this change maker for you to be recognized as a good person. 
And, and I think most people need to stop putting that expectation, especially on people who are coming from marginalized community, because then if you don't do something in one or two years, everybody's looking at you be like, oh, but Emanuela, you went to study abroad. Uh, we expected you, right? That's the word most people use. We expected you to come back and transform um, my community. And that goes back in those six, six years. What was I doing? I was handling my own emotional turmoil. I did not have the space to think about others. And so, and I think this is something that could really, a lot of people need to create awareness on things that we say to a lot of people, and especially those who are really trying to take one step each day to live this life. Um, so yeah, you need to forge your own path, get get what works for you, um, and 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 move on. Thank you so much. That's such a beautiful message. I uh, I always felt that um, when young people are trying their best <clears throat> with already a lot of baggage, and the, the, it, there's a lot of expectation, they have to go and build their communities mm-hmm. and and do this and that. I'm not. I, I think. If they do what you did, take care mm-hmm. of that emotional baggage and feel fine with themselves. Acknowledge the path, you know, how far they've come. Like, look how far you've come, Emanuela. Mm-hmm. That it's that in itself, it's victory for me. Exactly. You know, tomorrow, if you become a parent, you will do different because you are transforming yourself. And that it's, in itself, it's changing your community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just going and creating an initiative. It's taking stock of what happened and transforming yourself. For me, mm-hmm. there's nothing more beautiful than that because everything starts with the self. Mm-hmm. And this is a message I hope that we go out to other young people who might feel pressure to do things at a pace, at this, that I'm supposed to do it, when they're suffering so much mm-hmm. inside, you know. As you said, take your time, forge your path. You know? Yeah, you cannot you cannot be pouring from an empty cup. You cannot yeah. be pouring from an empty cup, and you cannot you know burn yourself as you light others. Then you will be dead, right? Yeah, yeah, and also um, you all the accolades from outside will not compensate for. If you don't consider yourself, nothing from outside will come and make you love yourself. That that mm-hmm. transformation has to. It has to be a personal journey. Um, yeah, I I really, really loved our conversation. I wanted to ask you, so um, uh, what what do you like eating, Emanuela? So let's make it a bit <laughs> Oh, Miriam, Miriam, Miriam. What do I like eating? Okay, I, I eating. Well, I thought you were going to ask me, what do I like drinking? Okay. Oh, I, 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 could, I could ask you that just right after <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I cook, I cook I can say I cook a lot at home. Um, I I like to cook all. I rarely eat out, so mm. I like to try new recipe. But of course, my favorite food happens to be chapati and mm. lentils. Um, so if I'm going to make chapati, lentils has to be there. But I can say I'm a foodie. I try new recipe. Uh, the other day I made Singaporean something. Um, mm. So. Yeah, chicken or what? It was it Singaporean? I think it was chicken. 
yes, it was it was like a, a really dense and, and, and very, very delicious food. I made it. I followed the recipe and it came out mm-hmm. good. So I guess I can say now I'm a certified chef. <laughs> That's amazing. You know what? You know that in in um, in like healing methods like cooking, spices, they, they are very grounding actually. I also mm-hmm. love love trying recipes mm-hmm. and uh, it's like creating something, right? It's uh, it's uh, it's it's, it's beautiful. artistry. It's artistry. Yeah, yeah. right. It's artistry. Yeah. It's artistry as you paint, as as you put each spice, as you it 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 has yeah. this. Feeling okay. Now I'm going deep, <laughs> but yeah, it's beautiful. No, no, really, yeah, yeah. Everywhere I go, I I look for where I can get spices. I just mm-hmm. love that, yeah. And then, uh, then I check out recipes. But uh, you know, these are things we do for ourselves, and it's amazing. Did I have a final question? Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you. Today, you work with young people mm-hmm. in your work. You work with young Africans mm-hmm. a lot. Um, what would you want to tell young Africans? Uh, what message would you, young African women? Mm-hmm. Um, thanks, thanks, Miriam. And yes, I work, most of my work revolves around supporting young women from the continent and from the African continent. And I think for me, um, is the fact that be kind to yourself. Um, be kind to yourself. Uh, also recognizing the process is not going to be linear. Um, it's full of ups and downs, turns, disappointments. But at the same time, just take each step one at a time. Um, you know, get to a place where you are able to put boundaries on what you can and what you cannot do. Um, and also just that voice that's inside you your intuition your intuition will tell you i cannot do this and be comfortable with saying no um but at the same time just take that one step at a time do you need to finish your paper do it do you need to say hello to your family do it but just be kind to yourself and know that the process is not going to be linear and be grateful, always be grateful and show a sign of gratitude to your being. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Thank you so much, Emanuela. Thank you, Um, Miriam. It was was a wonderful conversation with Emanuela on the Overcoming Your Story podcast. So maybe another time for another discussion (laughs) thank you so much for inviting me Miriam and looking forward to hearing more from other speakers and learning from them oh thank you Emanuela (laughs) 